should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. We read them so you don't have to, because Ain't No Rule Says We Can't. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, or as he prefers to be known, the Marquis de Chardin. Benedict! <laughs> that was a great joke. It deserved more laughter than that. I, to be honest, I didn't get it, but I wanted to react in some way. Marquis de yep. Chardin. Think of the spelling, Benedict. Think of the spelling. Who's it uh, referencing? Get it now? Sad, obviously. Get it now? But are you mispronouncing But if it? he was a smooth operator. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Marquis de Chard, not Chardé. It's pronounced Chardé. Her name it's is the... pronounced Chardé. Oh, I see. Okay, okay, okay. I, I don't know who that is. The that's musical the artist Chardé. That's who, who that, did that's the song where I'm, Smooth Operator. That's where I'm losing it because I know who the Marquis de Sade is. But I smooth Operator. You know sure. the song. I, uh, to be honest, I don't. There but was, that's fine. There was a point in the 90s where my Kevin, dad... there is no more appropriate thing for this podcast <laughs> than that I know who the Marquis de Sade is, but not Sade. <laughs> like, that's where I lost the reference. That is literally this podcast in a nutshell. Is I me being like, I can't ah, believe you don't know who Sade is. That's the nope, thing that blows me away the most. Because yeah. she was a British artist. Was she? Uh, I think Good she's fan. still alive. I'm pretty sure Congrats. she's still alive. Yeah. Let's see. Let me just, I'll pull up some, some of her top songs. Smooth Operator is the number one song. I think, to be honest, I do think I've heard that, but you I'm prob- not, I couldn't. I'm, it was on like every Starbucks uh, mix CD they ever sold, probably. Smooth okay. Operator. There was a point in the 90s when my dad got really into uh, a radio station in Cal- in Sacramento. Uh, 94.7 KSSJ. And did Sade do the jingle for that? No, but it was Sacramento's <laughs> Smooth Jazz Station. Oh, I see. It was like Sade and like the the smoother Steely Dan tracks. And uh, who, was the, uh, who was the saxophone guy? Kenny G. It was a bunch of that kind of stuff. <laughs> Okay. So we would ride to school. My dad drove us to school every day. We to, to, to the smooth tones of Kenny G. Smooth, smooth tones of Kenny G. And they probably played uh, what is it? Take two. What is that song? Like ten times a day, something okay. like that. Or uh, take five. Take five is take the song five. I'm thinking of. Uh, okay. But anyways, yeah, that's how I know Sade. Okay. Really disappointed. You don't. Congratulations. Know I'm sorry. But Benedict, what does the term "don't say boo" to a goose mean? <laughs> was the question you wanted me to ask you today? No, no. It's just because we were talking about. Because we okay, a little inside baseball. Uh-huh. When we start the recording, we say three, two, one, clickety boo. Right. Or we Kevin both does. click record on our recorders at the same time. Yeah. And then we realized that this is the Halloween episode by accident. And I started saying boo in a weird voice. And then uh, Kevin did the same thing. And then I, uh, th- that triggered in my brain the weird thing. Wouldn't say boo to a goose. And I, I, I'm not, <laughs> w- with things like this, I'm always unsure about whether they're American expressions. <laughs> so I thought I'd take the opportunity to ask if he wouldn't say boo to a goose is an American expression. Uh, and okay. apparently it's not. It's a British expression, which makes intuitive sense when you think about it for more than a second. <laughs> but basically... It means somebody who like 
and this is if I'm recalling this correctly, even I haven't said it in fucking years. It, some somebody who like is very might might like go on and on like behind someone's back, but like is would never like hates confrontation. Uh-huh. Like he wouldn't he wouldn't say boo to a goose. And to be honest, I wouldn't say boo to a goose because I've seen those motherfuckers' teeth. Those are dinosaurs. <laughs> that is a compsognathus with feathers. Just hearing the phrase, I would think it meant something more like I wouldn't say no to a goose. That uh, wouldn't ki- wouldn't kick a goose out of bed. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's like goose is some weird British slang for like a... something like that. Exactly. Yeah. That's the way I hear it. That's what it sounds like to Somehow me. Somehow racist. I, like I don't know. It's like some weird form of racism that Every nobody else understands. Colloquialism is. We yeah. all know. Deep down, they all are. You, honestly, yeah. Like so, I not that I say any of them obviously anymore. But sometimes I'm like that feels like it has racist origins. Now that I think about it for two minutes, like you don't want to. You don't want to think about colloquialisms for too long. I'd no, say. you do not. Anyways, Benedict, you probably know what it is we do here on this program. Uh, I do. Some folks, folks who would say boo to a goose. Uh, <laughs> Brave would... motherfuckers. That's who they are. <laughs> they <laughs> would fight a goose. I, I think it, that poll does the rounds on Twitter. Sorry, I'm interrupting you again. Uh-huh. That poll does the rounds on Twitter every, like like eight months or so i'd say that's like people that think they could beat what animals in a fight with like their bare hands yes and i think it's like really five percent a lion yeah 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 shut the fuck up but i also think people overestimate how easy it is to fight a goose and not that i'm encouraging people to fight geese but like 90 percent of people think they could beat a goose and i gooses a feist geese gooses mooses gooses 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 be feisty gooses and gooses and moose oh my Anyway, sorry, can't help you. <laughs> but this is a show where we go deep, 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 deep to plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative literature. And in between, take a look at those examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Start us out, Benedict. Do you have a hot take for us this week? I do, but one sec. Is this the podcast equivalent of fighting a goose? Like, <laughs> this, like n- not not too much power behind it? And us just being like, these motherfuckers, these dumb Not idiots. much power, but we're really scared of it. But uh, really, yeah. <laughs> we, wouldn't, we wouldn't say boo to it, though. We wouldn't say boo to it. Not in person, but no. I will talk about it behind his back all the fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, hot take. Get your get your vaccines. I just got mine. Uh, and if you're into that and they don't do you any harm, go get if your vaccines. If you're into that. <laughs> yep. If your thing is vaccines. If your thing is vaccines, go, go ahead and get go them. get one. Yeah, go get them. You know, not everyone wants one. Not everyone needs one. Not everyone. Well, everyone needs one ostensibly, but you. not everyone can get them. And if you have a reason not to get one, then don't. But. Otherwise, do. Herd immunity rocks, baby. Let's go. All right. What about you? <laughs> We're rocking and rolling today. Yeah, I am I am high energy. I've had a lot of caffeine today. Uh, my hot take today, Benedict. <laughs> I never really liked friends. Just, uh, oh, shit. But RIP Matthew Perry. Yeah. I mean, it's sad that he died. I'm not saying yeah. that's not sad. I just never really liked the show. It wasn't my that's thing. Fair. It just wasn't my jam. I came to it kind of late, I think. Um, it, like, I think I only started watching it once it had ended. And it's not, yeah, it's not we, the, Benedict, we were born in the 90s. It, no, we were not old enough to watch. But we were not old enough to watch or understand in 2004 uh, ah, what, no. what the jokes were in. Films. I was a pretty smart 10 year old. <laughs> 2004, you would have been 13, idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I understand. Um, but no, people at my school definitely watched it like as it was on live. Like they had watched all the seasons. What and channel were, like, was that on in the UK? Channel 4. You know, why do I ask? Why do I ever yeah. ask? Like, <laughs> I forget that licensing deals exist. Yeah, but it's funny because like we didn't have Seinfeld. 
Like, I what? That's funny, but that yeah, feels we, like, like the one you would have. Because I did like Seinfeld. I enjoyed yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah, I think Seinfeld probably has aged better. Maybe. Friends. Maybe. Because the whole premise is Larry David hates everyone. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's no there's no discrimination involved. <laughs> Larry and well, yeah. Anyway, Seinfeld hasn't aged better. No, Larry but... is not. His girlfriends have. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Jerry, 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 not Larry. <laughs> yeah, he himself as a person, maybe not. But you no. know. Uh, anyways, anyway, let's move no, no, along. Your hot take. Oh no, you said that. That was, that was yours. Yeah. That wasn't mine. Uh, sorry, I what is on your bookshelf this week? Uh, can I be lame and just say a brave new world? <laughs> did you just... did you start reading it because we did the review? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That I, had, That's I had read it already, but yeah, I think you know it gets people to go listen to the Patreon. Maybe that'll be good because I'm not gonna reread it before we do the cool. second half of that review. Uh, so you'll have more information going into that one yep. uh, about the book. I will have watched the full video, which you will not have done. Great. It'll be a nice, uncoordinated. Nice. Collision <laughs> dovetail, yeah. It'll be good. What about you? Uh, for me, Benedict, Futurama. Just go watch Futurama. It's one of the greatest shows ever made. It is nearly a perfect television show in okay. every regard. And uh, I say that because I'm re-watching every episode from the beginning because I haven't seen the new season yet. Uh, and I, the only way my brain will let me do that is if I watch every episode and then watch the new season. It's the only way my it's... brain will let me do it. Is, that's a Matt Groening show as well, right? Yeah. yeah. Is he yeah. still involved with it? I believe he is, and the entire yeah. original voice cast is back. They're all back. Because so. the, the Simpsons fell off, right? Like, that's commonly agreed. Like, that's not as good as it was. Is Futurama yeah. still as good? I never really was a Simpson guy either. Futurama, uh, I, I, like Contrarian I said... Contrarian takes on this fucking podcast I haven't today. seen the new season, so I can't no, tell okay, you if it's well, good, When but, was the... Well, so is the, this the like a refresher season? season? It, it's I, I I don't exactly know because I haven't watched it. Yet. I've been holding out. I don't want to learn anything about it until Sorry, I actually Sorry, I mean, watch is it. this like a comeback season? It's a comeback season. Okay, right? okay. The show ended uh, back in the 2010s, uh, okay. and and now this is several years later. They've done another season. I'm very excited because, like I said, it is nearly a perfect show all the way through. My only problem is the fact that they've done a new extra season. Is that Futurama? Like I said, is nearly the perfect show. It had the perfect ending. It really did. Wow, the final no episode of the original Futurama run was perfect. It was everything you wanted. And uh, I'm a little bit worried. I'm a little bit worried that they're going to screw it up with the new season, but not that. Yeah, they've probably yeah, they tend people tend to fuck it up, so we'll see. Anyways, Benedict, moving it on to housekeeping this week. Remember to rate interview us on the iTunes, follow us on the social medias at NYGBCPod on Twitter and at NYGBCBen. Uh, no updates this week, really. Uh, nothing really. We've been busy, but, uh, you know, we had a nice little week off, uh, half week yeah. off. We still recorded the patron only episode that week, so we didn't have a full week off. Uh, but it was nice, uh, to have a little bit of a break. We both enjoy it from time to time. Uh, but Benedict, we have some new inductees into the spooky world, new world order. Blah. Then those, of course, start off with our newest patrons, beginning with Michael Eric, Michael Dash Eric. Michael Eric, whichever way you want me to say it, let me know and I'll make sure I say it that way. Michael Eric, you are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Blah. Work harder. Next, okay. <clears throat> Skull Fenestrated, you are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Blah. <laughs> uh, ben Martin, you are now part of our 
New World Spooky World Order, blah. Thank you all <laughs> so very much for becoming our patrons. We also have some other inductees into the Spooky World New World Order, blah. Starting off with Starshark, a longtime patron, who remembered the name of the movie that Ted Cruz stole the Pray to Castro for Candy story from, uh, which is titled, If Footmen Tire You, What Will Horses Do? is the name of that Christian propaganda movie that awesome. Ted stole the story from in our patron only uh, last week. Uh, so I will make Benedict watch it at some point. Uh, cool. Star Shark, you are now part of our... New World Spooky World Order. Bro. Oh, now you're just saying it normal. Great. Yeah. Fine. Because you're, ma- you're, you're mad I'm going to make you watch that movie. Yeah. Sorry, Star Shark. <laughs> and for finishing it off this week, we have Megalodon Pterodactyl. Pterodactyl, I should Pater- say. Pterodactyl. Pat- Pterodactyl, you are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Blah. Thank you, and all. that's for telling Kevin that his volumes are messed up. I'll fix it eventually. Thank you, you all won't. so very much for becoming our patrons. Uh, if you would like to, uh, for joining, whatever. Blah. If you would like to join the Spooky World New World Order, blah, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommend it as and send me a screenshot or tag us in it. Leave us a five star review wherever you can, and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity, become a patron, or just get my attention with something good. And with all that out of the way, Benedict. Wait, one sec. Our, our uh, Spotify review average is tanking. So please Boy. go give us a review on Spotify. Fucking Spotify. It's also still 4.5. It's fine. But like, please go actually do it because people are giving us one star. This? I don't know. Because I need validation. You know, <laughs> that's the only reason I keep doing this fucking show. I do. Anyways, Benedict, let's start off with our Josh Hawley clip of the week. Oh, fun. Okay, uh, this see. is one. This comes from his Senate uh, YouTube page, um, which... Okay. Like most senators, Congress people have, but it's always very weird to me because they use it to upload like their their best clips, what they think are their best clips. They don't use it for bullet points. No, not like our girl Lauren. No, not all of them are that creative and fantastic. Has she done a bullet point since she wanked that I guy off in a theater? I haven't checked in a while. I really. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me that that happened. That's something I really needed to be reminded of in my life because uh, we don't have enough moments of true joy. And we really, let's see. I want to see if there's any. I, I just pulled up her page. I want to see if there's even like a response to what happened no. with that. When was that? That was like a month or two ago. Something yeah, like it was that. like a month ago. Oh, let's see. No, did she just, just put the video up? <laughs> if she put up the, the surveillance footage, yeah. that would have been great. Nah, it's just basic bullshit. But they mm. all do like these SEO titles for these videos. Oh yeah, for sure. Which make it, it has a feel like they're not coming from their uh, official YouTube channel, which is weird. Oh, so it's like Josh Holy destroys woke moralists or something? Yeah, well, or? because it's in the third person, even though they posted it. it that's what makes it weird to me. Yeah. Because it reads for this one, Holly colon. Biden will use force of law against those who challenge the ruling elite. It has 100,000 views, by the way, which is scary. But anyways, let's watch this pile of shit. Joining me now is Missouri Senator and member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Josh Hawley. Senator, um, this sets us on a precipice uh, for, I think, a very, very dangerous period in our society and our electoral processes. Um, at this point, the Fulton DA... If this video was from January 5th, 2021, that would have been much more appropriate. Mm. <laughs> ...has indicated that they will seek higher bonds 
um, against any of these defendants who are convicted. And of course, processing would include mugshots. What does that tell you here? Oh no, democracy's on the wane. Mugshots. <laughs> so this is from about two months ago. It's about yeah. the Fulton County, Georgia uh, charges against Trump and many of his lawyers and et cetera for all the bullshit that they did, which of course several of them have now uh, pled guilty to. Which is yeah, cop to. <laughs> Well, what this tells me is that this is the latest effort to keep the ruling party in power, Laura. That's what this is about. This is indictment like what, number 200? I mean, who knows? There may be more indictments to come. And what's clear about this... We could only hope there's more indictments to come. We really could only hope. But um, I, I, this is strange to me because um, Holly is a lawyer. <laughs> and it's just weird. The, the pretending to not get how any of this works, to not understand anything about these cases because he I, I say this a lot about the people we talk about many of them they might have knowledge but mm -hmm. they're not intelligent they're dum-dums <laughs> holly certainly knows he certainly knows the reality of all of this so it's all performative it's all bullshit it's very transparent and that just annoys the hell out of me for some reason this is this is an effort by the ruling party the democrat party across states and the federal government to make sure that anybody who criticizes them gets indicted. And it's not just Trump, although they're focused on Trump. It's, it's also Catholic. Pause it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Joe Biden is a fucking Catholic, first of all. Um, that's not what I was going to say, though. The, it's interesting that he still refers to the Democrats as the ruling party, and I understand that they are have the presidency, but Republicans hold the fucking House. So it's yep. not. A, it's by no means a trifecta. Well, uh, you know, the, the executive branch contains within it the, the prosecutorial the, branch, yeah, yeah. The, the attorney general. Uh, yeah. You could make that argument. But it's also a bad argument because of what he's going to go on to say here, which is basically to say, they're coming after all of you just for criticizing him without mm. being able to point to any concrete examples of people who were just, uh, you know, charged for criticizing because that's not what happened to anyone. Like who have had their parishes infiltrated. It's also pro-life demonstrators who have Catholics had who have had their parishes infiltrated. That's I what, heard that. Yeah, yeah. Could he point to any that have had their parishes no. infiltrated? Or could he point to just a memo that went out a bit about trad caths, which was basically about the groipers uh, and, and shitheads like that and people who bomb abortion clinics like mm. uh, Brent Bozell. Like the pro-life people that he's like, about to defend. Like Brent Bozell, who we've talked about before. Or is yep. he Brent Bozell the second or third? What, one I, of those motherfuckers. I forget which one of those ones invaded an abortion clinic and did arson and shit. We've had SWAT teams sent to their doors. It's also those who have protested peacefully. We've had the FBI show up and knock at their doors. It's parents. I can only imagine that's a reference to January 6th. Oh, yeah. People who protested peacefully had the FBI show yeah, up Yeah, that you doors. ran away from who've gone to school board meetings and now been labeled domestic terrorists by the Biden administration. I never thought we'd see any of this in American history. We've seen all of it in just the last couple of years. And the common thread is if you challenge them, if you challenge the ruling party, the ruling elites, they will use the force of law against you. And yeah, this is crossing a Rubicon, Laura. We've got to beat this back. We've got to defeat this attempt to rig an election in real time because that's what they're trying to do they're trying to make that's what it is it's rigging an election in real time yeah because nobody else has ever tried that have they nope nope could you imagine if someone took i don't know legal steps to try and overthrow an election that all of their lawyers knew was uh, in fact uh, uh uh coming out in favor of the other guy um mm. and all those people who filed false documents maybe would get i don't know charged 
for mm. something like that. Like the very thing you're talking about, Josh. Yeah, man, it's dumb. That's all I wanted to play. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's no, an idiot. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, no, idiot. we knew that. I knew that from reading the chapter this week, but that's okay. Uh, Benedict, that brings us to our review once again of Manhood. By what was I always forget what the subtitle is. The Masculine Virtues America Needs by Josh Hawley. Uh, and this is chapter three we are doing today, A Man's Battle. Do you have an alternate chapter title for us? I do. It's the, it's, uh, I have like crossed out versions. It's like A Man's Battle. No, A Man's Struggle. No, My Struggle. My <laughs> Struggle. God damn it, you stole mine. You my camp, stole though. mine. Mine was My comp. I was going for a little bit of subtlety there. But, uh, yeah, no, you, we had basically this... We were simpatico this week. It's, to be honest, I mean, he should have known that was going to happen when he chose the chapter title. It's pretty self-evident what's gonna, what somebody's going to do with that there. Because you know how yeah. all the writers on the right, they know about our show and they plan their books around us. Uh, I, I, uh, I, you, broke up, <laughs> you broke up for a minute there, so I Okay, uh, well... <laughs> We have you got same. you got my joke though because I, I you were what staring at me you, with the blankest of faces what? and I was like did he not oh, get the joke? <laughs> <laughs> no, what I was telling you is I had the same chapter title oh, as cool. you this week. Good, excellent. Mine Love was my comp. I went for the <laughs> half English, <laughs> half camp. German. Uh, you know, yeah. can't go full German, but uh, yeah. No. Anyways, Benedict, you'll hear it uh, when the episode comes out. Cool. Uh, the chapter begins today. Quote. When I was 14 years old, I began attending a Catholic high school about an hour away from the small town where my family lived. This was a seismic shift in my life. I suppose yeah. going to high school is often a major episode in one way or another, but the change seemed especially momentous to me. No and, shit, dude. Yeah, high school's different. High school's like, different. I think, did we say, he went to an all-boys school, I think. I think yeah, that's yeah. where he went, yeah. Well, it's um, a Catholic school, right? So they tend to Well, they're not, they're not all all-boys. There was, oh, um... In Sacramento, there was a Catholic uh, high school called Christian Brothers, which was a co-ed school. Um, and then there was it's another like the one. the worst Blues Brothers tribute <laughs> band I've ever heard. There was another one called Jesuit, which was the all-boys high school. Uh, so there were both. I don't know if his town had both, but there, was, there are co-ed uh, Catholic high schools. He continues. Uh, I had only rarely ventured beyond the town where we lived, which boasted a... You were 14. You were 14, Josh. Yeah. And you lived in the suburbs of Kansas City. Please. I had only rarely ventured beyond the town where we lived, which boasted a population of 5,000 souls. And then, usually, the visit relatives. It's weirdly written. Like, that's separated by commas. It needs an M dash. That needs an M dash, Josh. I'm and sorry. And the use of 5,000 souls there. It's just, weird. It's weird yeah. and Catholic -y. Just say people. Just say yeah. people, dude. 5,000 dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Who are all laying pipe, as we learned last time. <laughs> Now there would be a long commute every day, a new school, and entirely new classmates. We had a family friend who taught there, and my parents knew another couple who sent their son to that school. But he was two years ahead of me, and I didn't know anyone else at all. So this is the setup for today's chapter. Yep. Josh went to high school. Great. And yeah, it's very, gonna... very relatable dude, Josh I'm, Hawley. I'm went, to, went to high school like the rest of us. Pausing here to insert the content warning um, about suicide that is coming up. Because Josh very horribly and crassly uses the suicide of a friend in his book For today. For no real reason. No reason at all. No reason it's at all. It's got nothing to do with what he's talking about. Was completely unnecessary. Did not need to be included. But he used it to relate the bullshit he is talking about to himself. Not to his friend. Not to his friend who died. To himself. Because that's what matters. 
Josh is what matters. We yep. all know that. So just content warning. If you don't want to hear about this, I'm going to say skip probably, I don't know, a minute and a half, two minutes ahead. I'll try. Uh, maybe let's go. Three no, minutes. I'd say, I'd say skip like 10 minutes. Ahead. <sighs> go, go ahead a ways. Cause I'm going to try and get through as fast as I can, but uh, here it is. So it continues. The prospect was at once hugely exciting, new frontiers, adventure, but also to my young self daunting. I signed up to play freshman football. Yeah, we all fucking did, Josh. We all I, fucking I, did. I, I didn't. But My yeah. freshman fush football squad had 80-something players. 80-something players on the freshman that, team. That, I think, is against the rules. Well, not everybody got to play. Duh. <laughs> oh, I see. Not on the field. Okay. <laughs> just imagining, like, peewee football with just, like, 80 no. kids <laughs> swarming. We had 80-something players on the freshman team. By the time we got to sophomore year, we barely had, like, 35. Most yeah, people didn't it's play fucking with the brutal. It is brutal. <laughs> I brutal do sport. wonder if I will have CTE someday. Uh, you yeah, probably will. I'm it sorry. It might happen. There's a lot of drama. Let's, the point let's is get all this podcasting done before that happens. <laughs> it's very important that this we gets out. We need to record a couple years in advance so that we have stuff to dribble out as I turn into a drooling oh, husk. God. Uh, <laughs> continues. Uh, a sport I had been playing since I was nine. That proved to be a saving Nine-year-olds shouldn't be allowed to play football. I'm sorry. That is just that. I, I don't know, care if it's flag football. It, that is fucking dangerous. Well, nine-year-olds play soccer. Yeah, it's and not dangerous. And they run dangerous. into each other. They're also not allowed to head the ball until that. Hey, like, if hey, you're not, literally any not allowed sport to... can be dangerous if you're playing against the governor of California. That's true. <laughs> Kid didn't post up. That was the problem with what yeah, happened. Yeah, look, you gotta, yeah. <laughs> he trampled that kid. I know. I think Boris Johnson did that in rugby once as well. Just absolutely <laughs> ran through a channel. Oh, is that um? What was? The, I think I know exactly what you're talking about. It was that old video of him playing with like the prince or something. Where yeah, where he ran I can't over. It absolutely I, ran through a kid though. I think did. yeah, I think he ran over Prince. What are your prince's names? I don't even. What's I, the one who married Meghan Markle? Uh, Harry. Him. Yeah, I think he ran over him playing rugby out on the the yard or something like that. That's I think funny. there was a video of that. Anyways, it continues. Lots of boys at the school played football, but not all 200. And being part of the team gave me the opportunity to meet new people in a smaller setting and identify a group of friends early on to call my own. Josh is shy. He's a shy boy. And he tells us about a friend he met named Jake. And he does tell us in the footnotes not that his he, real changed, name, yeah. he changed the name. He did change the name. Um, he says about Jake, quote, He was a devoted Christian and possibly the first person my age I had known who felt comfortable talking about his spiritual life. He would tell me what he was reading in the Bible or thinking about, his questions about God and faith and life. He listened to me do the same. I loved it. I spent a goodly amount of okay. time at is his house. Is it just me that noticed that this is written as like a wannabe Federalist paper style thing? There, there's something going on there's there. There's some like founding father. Because it was like... Uh, the prospect was at once hugely exciting. New frontiers, adventure, but also, yes. to my young self, daunting. I spent a goodly amount of okay. time with the When lad. it is like, read in your accent, yeah, it sounds so much more founding father-ish. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Benjamin Franklin fucking writing. Yeah, it's weird. He's intentionally choosing weird words to you. I spent a goodly amount of time at his house where I was treated like another son to the young family. <laughs> yes, it's just so strange. Yeah. Uh, but they played college together for four years. Blah, blah, blah. They were friends. They hung out with each other. Did all it also stuff. reads like, like a meet cute. Like <laughs> It is. In another world, it could be the beginning to another Fault in Our Stars book. Yeah. Uh, could be something Ooh, like that. Okay, yep. Yeah. 
Uh, was that a bad reference because one of those people dies? Yeah, that was why I ooh. I thought that was cancer though in that book. It I've was, never seen, but it still. I've never died. seen the book or the movie. I don't know. I've never seen. The that's book. why it was relevant. One of these characters dies. No, already, I know. I understand. We've already told the audience I, that's going was, to happen. It was a it was a relevant joke. Okay. It just hit me. <laughs> okay. In a way that your jokes normally don't. <laughs> that's just because you don't think I'm funny. That's uh, true. <laughs> That's not true. I do think you're funny. I've sweated with laughter on this podcast before. <laughs> he continues. When we went off to college, we stayed in regular touch and visited each other in the summers and for birthdays. Jake wanted to be a doctor like his father, which suited him. He was quite possibly the gentlest man I knew, despite his towering size and ferocity on the football field. He loved people and cared for them. He was an attentive listener. He majored in biology and kidded me endlessly about my choice to study history. Not a serious subject, he said. Not rigorous. Not the way Josh did it. Not the way, certainly not the way Josh did it. Fucking Stanford, nothing rigorous there. Disgusting. Then something I've completely inherited all of your American college beefs because I don't care. (laughs) Apart from, like, you're the only person that has college uh, beefs. You have an honorary UC Berkeley degree I bestowed (laughs) upon you. Honorary, yes. Did I give you the campus tour? I don't remember if I gave you you the campus tour. Okay, yeah. Uh, he continues. Then something began to go wrong our senior years. I first noticed it in the, uh, the summer before senior year started, before we headed back to our respective campuses. I had, uh, this is senior year of college, by college, the way. Yeah. He's not being yeah. very clear. I had invited Jake to a family get-together of mine in Arkansas, a hiking trip. And toward the end of the weekend, he said to me cryptically, I don't know if this med school thing is going to work out. I was surprised. I knew medical school had long been his aim, and he was a good student. Start, sharp, intellectually curious, and a hard worker. But I didn't pursue it. I wish I had. Um, and I'm not going to read the part where uh, Josh learns about his friend's death and all of that. It's, it is plainly just gross that Josh is including this for the purposes that he's including it. Because I will jump forward to where Josh starts talking about why this matters. Just just also say that that is the best representation of how you think about how time passes on this podcast. Because you were like, skip forward one and a half minutes and then spent seven minutes talking I about know. the fucking thing. I have no idea how long a minute is. That's my <laughs> Which problem. is why we do an hour and 20 minute episodes when we exactly. start doing it. Exactly. Yeah. My time is much more expansive than everyone yeah. else's. You are uh, literally traveling at the speed of light going faster. <laughs> <laughs> but here's how Josh spins this to be relevant to this book and this chapter. He says, quote, His death was shattering in many ways, and among the things it destroyed in my life was any illusion that all is well with the, with the world or with me. And I, I do have to say, for people who know people who die of suicide, mm-hmm. it is perfectly valid to experience your own emotions in relation to that. Perfectly valid. We all, we all do. Everybody uh, grieves differently also. It's, I mean... But Josh uses this to next say, quote, The world is not as it should be, nor am I, nor is any man. There is darkness in the world that resists what is good and strains to destroy it. There is darkness within us. This is a reality each man must face. This is his battleground. Continuing. but, But the thing is with this is like the implication there, which he doesn't say, is that, what's his name, Jake? Yeah, Jake. Jake failed in some way. Jake yeah. lost it. Like the 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 implication is Jake wasn't strong enough to beat the demons. Yeah, and, and that fucking sucks. And and the one thing I was very glad about is that uh, Josh does not ever explicitly hypothesize about what he thinks caused uh, the death of his friend. 
which yeah. would have been more gross than what he does. Oh no, like, I was expecting him to say like a loss of faith or something, yeah. and that like that's I I, yeah, I, I too was expecting it the entire chapter as I was reading this. Yeah, very but I, I do happen. I do think he kind of implies it, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah, that is the implication. It's an implication, which is gross. He continues on immediately after what I just read. Well, oh, sorry, uh, sorry. I, I, I know we're not talking about the specific moment, but there is a moment just before that where he says, I don't want you to lose whatever respect for me you have left. There's like one of the last things he said to him. Yeah, the and then he starts talking Josh. about Epicurean culture and, and hedonism and stuff and how that causes us to lose sight of things and uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. So I... To me, there's an implicit link there of like maybe, but I, you know, I don't want to speculate. So no, I think that's the the link that Josh is trying to draw. I just didn't want to read any of those couple of paragraphs because that just no, that's fair. Hit that's me fair. as extra gross. But Josh yep. continues immediately after what I read last. Our modern Epicurean culture has trouble facing it. It being the darkness, mm. it wants to insist that human nature is inherently good and that evil, if there is any such thing, is a product of corrupt social systems. Um, I do not believe that evil is a thing that exists. I believe it's a descriptor. It's an adjective. It is not a noun. It is not an entity that exists within the world. Well, also, I mean, the other thing is that, that I mean, Josh thinks evil comes from God. Like, I'm not, I, I'm not clear on where Josh thinks good well, Josh, and evil comes from. God created everything, so everything yeah. comes from God. Uh, and we're going to get into... Oh God, he's so weird this week. The Bible stuff this week is more coherent. It is easier to follow from point it's A to point It's easier to B. follow, but it's still incredibly word salad like and, it, Yeah, and and whacked out and just mm. pulling shit out of thin air. It's 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 actually... I enjoyed it a little bit more this week. So we'll okay, get into that when we, and it ties back to what you just said. But he continues. Uh, it is the product of corrupt social systems. It's the fault of the patriarchy or systemic racism or capitalism, or the like. By the same token, Epicurean liberals flee from trial and pain. They have nothing useful to say about these things other than avoid them. The Epicurean idea of character formation comes down to this. Ignore your vices, pursue pleasure, and prioritize happiness, and be a generically nice person who won't stand in the way of anyone else pursuing self-gratification. That is what he wrote immediately after talking about the death of his friend. To which, as, as you say, there's no point in that story. I, this this chapter was instructive to me in that it, it kind of uh, does away with any assumptions you might make that Hawley is anyway, in any way libertarian. Because mm-hmm. he spends a lot of time being like, no, people shouldn't be able to do whatever they want as long as it doesn't hurt. And he they argues do... that Rousseau is part of the root of all of our evil, Benedict. I mean, you certainly could argue that. <laughs> <laughs> Rousseau sucks, but for different reasons. Hey, he wrote the social contract, man. I know, I understand. He was also quite reactionary. <laughs> he was actually quite a dick, that is yeah. true. <laughs> we'll get to it when we get to it. But he continues on, quote, One of the reasons the Bible is so out of favor with the left is that it takes a very different view. The Bible has much to say about evil and much more to say about a man's duty to confront it, in himself above all. Man's mission to subdue the earth's chaos and bring forth its potential means confronting the evil the chaos conceals, and that begins with himself. The battle with evil is the proving ground of the man's character. Genesis is direct about this. Really, Josh? No. Really? You just spent a whole chapter forcing us to squint at it so that we could see it. It's far from direct. And none of his citations to Genesis this week are going to be much more clear than that was. Mm-mm-mm. I guarantee it. And that brings wah, us wah. to the first subsection of the chapter this week, which is titled The Duty to Guard. 
to guard. He says, quote, God assigned Adam two tasks when he brought him to Eden. The first was to work the garden. The second was to keep it, as in to guard. That's by no means clear, by the way. You, you can know, keep a garden. I mean, I don't know what the Hebrew is. I didn't bother mm-hmm. to look it up, I will say. Yeah. But you can keep a garden literally just like keeping it neat and tidy, like keeping weeds away. Like, are the, is the evil weeds? Like, is that... <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the times that I really wish we had Dan McClellan on speed dial, mm. uh, who is that guy who has taken off on TikTok for doing uh, biblical criticism. Um, he's, he's a weird cat. He's a weird cat because he is a practicing Mormon. A liberal Mormon, but a practicing Mormon who spends all of his time talking about how everyone is making shit up about the Bible and how none of it's really, you know, like, true. It's so weird to me that he does that. And also it is contradictory a lot of the time. Yeah, and and he... Because his slogan is, is what, data over dogma is what he says. I like that. It's weird to me that he is a guy who is a practicing Mormon and is one of the most honest people about the realities of the Bible and what its words mean, right? He's a guy who reads the ancient languages it was written in and all that stuff, and he always talks about the etymologies of words and everything. I really do wish we had him on speed dial because this chapter would be perfect for him because his citation there for that line about keeping is just to some guy, some guy named, uh, what's this guy's name? G.K. Beale is this guy's name. Who just wrote? He wrote a book called "The Temple and the Church's Mission." That's it, and it says that the the Hebrew word "samar," uh, meaning most basically to guard or watch over. That's where he gets that. Because this is a problem with people who try to interpret the Bible. Ninety nine percent of them are trying to interpret the English version of the Bible, and more specifically, probably one of the many different. Uh, uh, translations that have come or that have been adapted from all the other translations, like mm. the King James Version, which themselves were changed for political reasons. G.K. Bill, to be fair, does seem to be an actual academic. He, he does, and there's another guy. So we also get some confirmation in this chapter from me. I'll say this is one of the things I was excited about. About Josh's, I think, not confirmation, but some idea, Josh's inclination into whether the Bible is literal or not, whether he's a young earth creationist. And that's because one of the next people he cites is a guy named John H. Walton. And the book in particular he cites is called The Lost World of Adam and Eve, Genesis 2 to 3 and the Human Origins Debate. And I didn't like find that book, but I did pull him up on, you know, his Amazon, uh, the Amazon description of that book and also like his Wikipedia page. That was as deep as I was going to go into this guy. But generally his whole thing is... You know, um, a lot of us Christians take the Bible literally, and science kind of proves us wrong. So maybe it's not literal. It seems to be this guy's general idea. Uh, He's like, I think the the dichotomy he sets forth is uh, functional reading versus a material reading, which is basically his way of saying it's not literal, guys. It's like, come on, it's. It's uh, God said these things to tell us stuff. That's what he means by it. And also Ken (laughs) Ham doesn't like the guy. Ken Ham really doesn't like John Walton. So that's part of why I know he's also not a uh, younger person. Part of the reason to like him. (laughs) If you need any. But so he continues. Josh does. A perimeter needs guarding only when there is danger. And God's instruction to Adam to keep the garden indicates danger waits beyond Eden's boundaries. This is the reality of evil. 
It is present beyond our ability to comprehend or explain. It threatens us and what we hold dear. It threatens the good work of God. None of that makes sense at all. No. Because the Christian God is omnipotent. That not, none of that makes sense at all. No. Omnipotence cannot be squared with any threat. There can be no threat to omnipotence. It means all-powerful. There can be yes. no such threat. It does mean that. Again, I think Josh is committing heresy here. He continues, In the ancient world, priests guarded the temples they served. Their responsibilities included keeping out intruders who might defile what was inside. In Genesis, the garden is the temple and Adam its priest. Again, that's just his analogy. That's Josh's yeah, it's analogy. his interpretation, yeah, which is wrong. Guarding the sanctuary, I don't, again, I don't think there's a right or wrong interpretation of the Bible. I, no. I, I just, I think there are dumb interpretations, but I don't think there are right and wrong interpretations. And all the interpretations are dumb. Uh, continuing, uh, one early Jewish commentary put it this way. And God said that he would make a man for his world as a guardian over God's works. That's it. Okay. That's the full citation. Cool. Cool, dude. Awesome. Yeah. Wait. Continuing, which is to say, at the heart of Adam's mission was the obligation to place himself between the good things God had given him, his wife, his family, his home, and evil. All his possessions. No, I'm kidding. And were you shocked that we got much more into some explicit misogyny today? Were you no, shocked when that I, came I, up? I have it. I have it written here. So <laughs> read the next bit, and then I'll read my note. <laughs> uh, yes, I will skip right to it. He says... Uh, Adam was to be part of God's solution to the danger in the world. If evil would enter the garden, it had to first contend with him. That was the plan. But it got to Eve first, and she's weak because she's a woman. Yes, that is the gist of what he says next. (laughs) That is the gist. I love my whole thing with this is just writing out the subtext. (laughs) I'm making the (laughs) subtext text. (laughs) He literally says, this is what he jumps to, basically a paragraph after what I just read for you. Uh, oh, no, am I getting ahead of myself, or was it the next page over? I am getting ahead of myself. Okay, it's not right after that. I am getting a little bit ahead of myself. Uh, he goes on to talk about, you know, men are part of God's solution to danger, blah, blah, blah. You have to protect—he basically keeps reiterating the same point he made once, which is men stand between the danger and the women. Yep. That's, and he just keeps repeating that in different ways. It's very <laughs> And women are weak and will give in to evil immediately if given the chance. There is this weird paragraph I will read from right here where he says, quote, The Bible does not shy away from powerful men. On the contrary, it teaches that powerful men are necessary. God, uh, Genesis says God gave Adam power, strength to be used in the holy task of expanding the garden. But God gives Adam no authorization to dominate or destroy even as he delegates Adam, parenthetical, and Eve, and parenthetical, dominion, he charges Adam to guard carefully the good things in his care. And I have to think that that's Josh preparing to later be like, no, nah, man, uh, uh, God didn't want big government. God wanted, God, God wanted small government. No Probably. domination. Small government. Feels it's, like what he's trying to line up there. It's also like the... Um the sorry i lost my train of thought no one else is on earth what's the danger (laughs) the the snake the snake benedict that's the danger i guess it's weird it gets to the next uh subsection of the chapter now which is the power of our choices where he begins in the face of evil we can choose to confront the darkness or we can choose to go along to compromise Adam chooses the path of least resistance, which is to say he does nothing as men are often tempted to do. 
Dude, this that contradicts not... everything you said yeah, about him Adam before. Adam sucks. Adam does suck. Sucks to suck, bro. You got kicked out of the garden. What the fuck you think you're doing? It's just, I'm like, does he realize the things he's writing? Does he realize what he's contradicting? Does I don't he care? think he does. No, I think I he mean, had a word count he had to hit. I really maybe. think he had a word count he had to hit. But next, we get to talking about the serpent again. And I brought up last time that the serpent did not come from outside the garden. It still did not come from outside the garden, but he starts no. off by saying, quote, The serpent was widely portrayed in cultures across the ancient Near East as an agent of destruction and evil. Benedict! Did you know that it was also the opposite of that? Did you know that? Some wise motherfucker. That's why in, he sits in the tray of knowledge. Yeah. Did you know that in ancient Mesopotamia, Nira, the messenger god of Istaran, was represented as a serpent? That he was a I serpent? did not, but did that makes that? sense. Did you know that serpents are all over Sumerian artwork uh, and amulets? Uh, that the Assyrians uh, had plenty of uh, snakes who were protectors and magical deities. I knew uh, that about the, the Assyrians. Yes, I did know yep, that. Uh, the Akkadians, uh, that Egypt had several cities that worshipped snake gods. Any of this? Any of this ring a bell? Any some Josh? of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of it to me, yeah. It's Maybe just, not to Josh. Like I said, Benedict, uh, if there's a bowl of cherries in front of him, uh, Josh is going to select a cherry, select a single cherry, and there's a phrase for that. And that's what he's doing. But he mm. continues. The snake convinces Eve to disobey God's instructions and eat from the tree of knowledge, one of the holy trees planted personally by God. The choice of tree is significant. God planted the trees of knowledge and life together, suggesting the way to ever life everlasting comes by way of knowledge and knowledge by way of obedience to God. Uh, you know what God sounds like to me? A dick. Yes, but also big government. <laughs> you can't eat that. It's not good for you. Look, uh, Josh uh, Josh believes that you should not have regulations on food companies who want to sell salmonella pods uh, to the people. Or uh, let's just say, I don't know, Soylent Green. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but God, apparently, he's one of those big government fascists. Wants to stop Josh from letting all those companies do that. But God, God wanted obedience and didn't get it. That's the that's the point. It keeps, here. And look, this is just Benedict and I's interpretation of what seems to be a pretty clear text that I understand thousands of years of Christians and Jews have come up with different interpretations for. I don't care about those interpretations other than in their historical context. Mm. I can, I've been told by all these Christians that all I have to do is read the text for myself and its meaning is apparent. And that's yep. what I'm doing. And it reads to me like, nah, Josh, that's a dumb interpretation. That's the way that it reads to me. Mm -hmm. He continues. Uh, the trees represented God prom God's promises, but the humans were not to eat of them until God said so. The serpent challenges that, of course. It tells Eve to eat of the tree of knowledge now, that if she does, she will be a god herself. Now remember, Eve and Adam were already God's icons at the center of his temple, which itself sent it, sat at the center of the cosmos. Again, I said... Scientifically I, incorrect. Scientifically incorrect, indeed. I thought that Josh had shown me he wasn't a biblical literalist, but now, again, not so sure anymore. Now, again, maybe he is. We can never really be sure with him. He continues. But the snake challenges Eve to forego her status as mere servant. He challenges her to forego discipline and obedience and reach for gratification now. Because, you know, all those women... Uh, if you leave a bag of milk duds at the house, uh, they're all just going to give up their discipline and obedience and go for instant gratification. 
It's what they're all about. Adam and Eve are Epicureanists. That's the... <laughs> that's... He continues, this is where we get into the real open misogyny part of the chapter. Quote, the serpent is the voice of envy and resentment, the voice of selfish ambition. Perhaps Eve would have heard this voice at some point in her life, irrespective of what Adam did. Perhaps she would have had her reckoning with evil no matter what, but that is not the impression Genesis leaves. How precisely the snake managed to find its way into Eden, the story does not say. But the implication is that the serpent is there because Adam did not do as God instructed. He did not guard the perimeter. Oh, it's an open borders thing. Oh my God, I didn't even realize that when I read it the first time. I didn't even realize that. (laughs) These Mexican snakes. They're that not is sending what he's their talking best snakes. Yeah, it that for is sure is. That is I didn't re- I just as you read it, that hit me, and that is for sure what it is. <laughs> oh god, that's so it's also misogyny, but it's also the border thing. You are correct. Because <laughs> it ends with his negligence exposed his wife to darkness. And when exposed to darkness, she's only a woman. What's she supposed to do? Only a woman yeah, exactly. Women are gonna go for those milk duds. <laughs> <laughs> or apples, I guess. <laughs> Apple duds uh caramel covered apples something there's something there Some, ah, something yeah. your own joke yeah so this is explicitly misogyny in this portion it's it's not even i don't know how you have an interpretation of this that isn't because it is very much women, women can't help themselves there has to be a man they will give in to temptation men are the only thing that can stop women from temptation and it's only because adam failed that eve went and ate the apple if you think yep. about it that's really all and again i go back to the thing i said he implies there that the serpent came from outside the bible benedict outside once the again, garden i fat yes i fact checked with the bible which as i read last time says in total about the source of the snake the serpent quote now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. End quote. That is the entirety of the story about the snake. The snake was created by God. God brought all the animals to Adam and Eve for them to name them. I can tell you how the snake got into the garden. Mm-hmm. Even in the story, I think I know how the snake got into the God garden. God did. As God to quote did. Drake. <laughs> So he gets to this weird part, which doesn't make much sense. He gets to this weird part. It's all weird. But I do have to point out, he starts talking about after they've eaten the apple, right? He's talking about darkness, human choices, blah, blah, blah. Who gives a shit? He next says, quote, Genesis reports that for the first time, Adam feels anger and shame. There is, Benedict, I fact-checked with the Bible, uh, no mention of him feeling anger after. And not in, and I will say, I am using the New International Version, which is the version that Josh claimed he was using unless he specifies otherwise. So I'm reading from the same exact text that that Josh is, as far Mm. as this. The only statement, there's nothing. There is no Adam was angry after he ate the apple. It's just that he hid because he realized he was naked. Realized he, yeah, exactly. So shame, yeah, but anger, no. Josh just made that up. Uh, M dash and promptly shifts to uh, blame and lies confronted by God who arrives perhaps in a storm to symbolize the disruption. The humans have let loose. Adam first hides fleeing responsibility, then accuses his wife, which there's this weird patriarchal aspect of, of also what we read previously. And now this passage right here where the woman, yeah, she can't really be blamed because again, women are just going to, they're going to eat the apple. They're yeah. going to be tempted. It's it's all a man's fault because a man has to be in charge of the woman. There's a oh, it's a very 
It's almost explicit. It's very implicit. It is highly It's implicit. heavily implied, yeah. Exactly, in what's going on there. So, uh, sk- skipping a ways ahead, there's a couple pages of just really boring him talking about where evil came from, and I don't really care about no, it. No, but there is an interesting comparison to draw to the, between that and Pandora's box, which is like all the evils mm-hmm. being let out into the world, but yes. then uh, finally letting hope out, which they don't really... I think there's a much more interesting myth in Greek mythology, actually, but that's, Dude, that's just my opinion. All of Greek mythology is much so more much more interesting because those because the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the Mesopotamian gods, they're written as human esque characters, right? Well, they're so written is much to of the have Old Testament faults. god, but then we have true. No, no, so but we have to pretend that he's not. True. And like uh, you know the the like I am a jealous god. That's interesting. Why don't we talk about that more? He and can like get the... tricked by throwing a bloody foreskin at him. Exactly, uh, yeah, and but like even that. like even like in the commandments, like thou shalt have no other gods before me. Like that implies that there are other gods, right? Like there was a time when Judaism may have been, and this is just one theory, but like competing with polytheistic re- religions in the region, right? Like that's the and and some people tried to add the Hebrew God to the polytheistic pantheon and be like, Oh, I can worship that as well. But then they, they can't because one of the commandments is thou shalt have the other gods before me. So like, that's a, that's another interesting thing that we just never talk about Again, because of boring biblical literalism. <laughs> biblical literalism is the most boring form. It's of so boring. It really is. Cause it's just, and also it ends up with multiple different interpretations because there is no such thing as literal interpretation of euphemisms and yeah. of, and that, of and allegory things, things and that are internally and, yeah. inconsistent as right, well like right yeah I, I get it but yeah i do agree greek anyway fleeing much, responsibility greek gods much more interesting we get to yes the next subsection fleeing responsibility because i am going to skip over the part where he brings back up his friend's death i'm not going to i'm not going to do any of that from this point out in the chapter uh yeah. he continues the question is what we are going to do about it. And this is, he seems to have this structure of every chapter. And I think it's why he put the gross story about his friend in. Because he feels like he needs to vamp for a little bit and then yeah. have a pivot to talking about whatever his point actually is. So that's this point where we've reached in this chapter. The question is what are we going to do about it? Our modern culture absolves us of personal responsibility and urges us to blame someone or something else. Society, perhaps, or the system. No, it doesn't. No, no, uh, really. No, it doesn't. Personal responsibility still exists, but it, personal responsibility can exist within the context of the system. Sure. Right? That's that's still a thing. Benedict, we'll be talking about it. Rousseau in a minute, who Josh does not understand. <laughs> no. I guarantee he does not understand Rousseau. Uh, this is because modern liberalism views evil very differently from the Bible. And as a result, it instructs men to mold their characters into a very different shape. Epicurus, modernity's ancient forefather, had little to say about evil other than that the greatest evil was to live one's brief life bereft of happiness. Skipping down a little ways. His later disciples took this line of thinking further. One of them was Jean-Jacques Rousseau, an 18th century Frenchman. Was he Benedict? He was. Or was he perhaps born in Sweden? Yeah, I mean, he is uh, thought the, of the as concept French, of to be countries fair. were different yeah. back then. He spent most I mean, of his he time was French also. Like, spent yes. most of his time in France, yeah. yeah. Uh, and much later, liberal thought. Oh, who helped inspire the French Revolution and much later, liberal thought. Rousseau considered himself a kind of Epicurean, and it was his contention that man in the state of nature was good, blissfully simple and free. Skipping a ways down. 
According to him, society made man self-conscious. It imposed on him arbitrary standards and intolerant moral precepts. It spoke of God and duty. It encouraged man to look on himself and criticize. Now, I will say, I only ever read Rousseau in the political science arena when I was in college as a political science major. That's the context in which I had to read Rousseau. Uh And if Josh is referring to the things I have read of Rousseau, he does not fucking understand Rousseau. Because Rousseau had an analogy he used regarding the first person to claim to put up a fence and claim that land was his and have people dumb enough to believe him was the person who created civil society. And Rousseau talked about pulling up the stakes or, or uh, um, uh, something about the ditch. I don't remember what it is. And, and going back to the form before that idiot had claimed this land being better. It was very much this idea about society making man self-conscious that, that Josh is trying to analogize to mm-hmm. is very much drawing from what I think Josh read from Rousseau, which is a very literal, no, we shouldn't have private property. That's probably a bad idea that Rousseau was getting at. Yeah, and I mean, he was very, uh, like... Yeah, I, I, I think his, his enduring work is probably the, the social contract, right? That's probably the, the one that most, is, most, yes. most people have heard of. Um, but, like, generally, like, quite collectivist uh, in his, his thinking, which is, you know, uh, not what conservatives want. Um, but no, no, although they will invoke the social contract plenty often. They're not, like, yeah. opposed to that concept. No, that's, that's true. I, I, I just think it's... You know, if given the choice between R- Rousseau and Voltaire, I would be picking Voltaire every day. At the <laughs> so, you know, um, it's not Look, like, you I think know. Rousseau is interesting. He's not yeah. a good person. He was not a good person, uh, but he yeah. did have some interesting thoughts. Bad people can have interesting sh- thoughts, too. Sure, but also bad people have lots of bad thoughts as well. <laughs> that is say. also true. <laughs> Uh, Josh continues talking about Rousseau. Also, he just hates the French Revolution. I would say, oh, like yeah. that's that's the it's a shot at the French Revolution. Remember as as when we started off doing our book reviews? Um, I was surprised every time we ran into the right hating the French Revolution mm. because I was always of the inclination that no, it was a revolution against a king. That's that's a good thing. Kings are bad. They would like to have, have kings. kings. Honestly, they think I, I wouldn't be surprised if half of the conservatives would like say yes to a king at this point. I, I think I've made the joke before that look, they don't want a king. They just want a you know king. You know that's what they want. It's still a king, and his uh, name is Trump. Yeah, yeah. But he continues talking about Rousseau. You have no doubt heard this line of reasoning before. The worst sin is the sin of intolerance. We are frequently told this has nothing to do with what he talked about with Rousseau before. <laughs> There's nothing to do. I have no idea how he drew this through line from society made man self-conscious to uh, so much for the tolerant left. It's been a while since I heard that. He continues, the worst thing you can be is judgmental. Rousseau argue, argued society was at fault. The worst thing you could be is a gossip, a messy bitch. Uh- <laughs> Sip. The gossip. Uh, love me some Maneskin. Uh, the worst thing you'd be is judgmental. Rousseau argued society was at fault. Society made man judgmental, and this caused man pain. It divided him against itself. It gave him a sense of duty and moral obligation that was at war with his desires. This inner conflict, in turn, produced misery, and miserable men did miserable things. Evil, Rousseau said, sprang from a divided soul. 
And this, again, is I think Josh doesn't actually know what Rousseau had to say. Well, because- even, even if he does, like, it, that's better than, like, God made us bad sometimes. Like, it's, <laughs> that's much more interesting. Let's talk about that. It is. It's okay. Basically, anything is more interesting than God said we're bad because we ate a fruit. And yeah. I know we joked about apple, and I know that is pomegranate is traditionally it's thought to be a pomegranate because that's actually a fruit that was around that region. Yeah. So it's more likely to be a reference to a pomegranate than it would be to an apple. But you know, we get it, we get it, man. It's whatever. But the social contract deals with the idea of right the general will of the people. Josh here is trying to claim that Rousseau is like an anarchist mm. when he very much was not, not an, an anarchist. anarchist no. I mean, he thought that countries should be smaller. They should be on, like, the size of city yeah, states. Yeah, and again, like, he's, like, generally, like, will of the people. Like, the people should decide. Like, he's more, like, a direct democracy kind he of is. guy. Yeah, he was a direct democracy kind of guy. Uh, but, yeah, it's it just is apparent to me that Josh, he's just cherry-picking again. It's just He, he did, like, some, some Control-F searches in, like, a combined Rousseau document to try and find some quotes that would put uh, whatever he really needed down on the page. Really seems to be what he did here. Yep. He continues, uh, what was needed, Rousseau said, was a kind of rehabilitation. The solution was to liberate man from the moral shackles society had forged for him by getting him back in touch with himself. And how violently opposed is everyone on the right to someone just understanding themselves? Yeah. It's such a weird thing to be so opposed to. to me. Well, he's like, we should look inside us to find God, not ourselves. Who do we think we are? <laughs> You don't need to listen to yourself. You need to listen to the voices. Okay? Uh, He continues. Skip me down a little ways. And that brings us to the Epicurean's prescriptions for personal character. Rousseau's counsel was, ignore the dictates of society and the moralizing voice in your head that society spawned, as in parenthetical, and choose your own values. Only you can decide what you truly want, what is best for you. So find your true passions and serve them. Whatever anyone else says, express yourself, create your own identity, discover your own truth. And I love to imagine Rousseau being like a 2013 Instagram poster, you know, of just uh, like just girly things. Find your own truth. (laughs) (laughs) But with a guillotine in the background. Uh, (laughs) The path to personal wholeness is personal fulfillment. To be happy, to become authentic. You must become the author of your own self. That was Rousseau's program. Again, you have not read Rousseau. Rousseau also, by the way, didn't even make it to the French Revolution. No, but he was an inspiration. Yeah, for it, right? his, yeah. I mean, obviously, yes. Him and Voltaire were large, large inspirations for the French Revolution. But like, died like ten years before the French Revolution. Yeah. Uh, he continues, and it is today's gospel. We are taught some version of it from the time we are young. We hear it rehearsed in school lessons and television shows and self-help books and movies. We hear it in the cadences of modern liberalism, which contends that the greatest evils to be defeated are found in social structures like the family or Christianity or manhood. I don't think modern liberalism says any of those things. Um, you know, I think, uh, well, no, modern liberalism, no. Maybe leftism or progressivism has some things to say, some correct things to say about Christianity or manhood. I don't think many people... Uh, I think, I mean, it depends. It, even then, I think it probably depends how you define manhood. Like, sure. whether, whether it be, you know, traditional 
We mean toxic masculinity. Toxic right? masculinity, yeah. But yeah. to Josh, that's all of masculinity because that's the only masculinity he, he cares about. He is a toxic about. man. Yay. But this whole thing, they always throw in the family. The mm. family is a big one of them. And I am unaware. Yeah, Ted Cruz was talking about it in the Brave New yeah. World stuff as well. And and the the best I can find is it comes back to a you know couple month long running line that developed from like a paragraph on Black Lives Matter's uh, national webpage in like 2018, where it was like something along the lines of um, you know uh, uh, communally taking care of families and. Uh, avoiding the societal structure. I don't remember the exact phrasing, but something about breaking down the barriers of family to the extent that individuals uh, relevant to it are comfortable with it is like mm-hmm. what it says. I, I don't have it in front of me. I wish I would have pulled it up ahead of time. To the best that I can find, that seems to be where all of them are drawing this the left hates the family thing. Because Black Lives Matter's website said a thing once that they take out of context. It's just... That seems to be all, because I don't know anyone on the left who has an issue with the concept of family. Who would? That doesn't make sense. We may have a different idea, a more expansive idea of the concept of family. Yeah, hey, communities should look after that. Yes. And I would say that many of us, and this might be somewhat also where it comes from, are willing to cut off family who are toxic and bad, which in many cases is because of their conservatism. That also may, might be where a lot of this gripe comes from, is a lot of uncles and, and parents whose kids <laughs> don't of, talk to them A lot anymore. of Thanksgiving conversations. A lot of empty Thanksgiving tables, Benedict. I think might be part of where this is coming from. Could be. But he continues and says, quote, The evil in these institutions, today's Epicureans say, is that they oppress the individual by preventing him from choosing what he can become. If you want less pain and suffering in the world, the argument goes, liberate individuals. Let them throw off the bonds of family obligations. Let them repudiate gender roles. Let them flout religious ordinances regarding the sanctity of life or holy matrimony. And that can only be one of two things, the matrimony one, right? Only can be two things. We know sanctity of life is is abortion. Mm. Holy matrimony, because he doesn't care about executions. There's no sanctity then. Holy matrimony must be either gay marriage or it must be that divorce is legal. It has to be one of those two things. And he doesn't I, give us you, a clear. Look, you're being uh, like overly kind. Maybe it's interracial marriage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thought didn't spring to my mind because maybe I give Josh too much of the benefit of the doubt. No, I think you're right. I think it's gay, it's gay marriage. I'm, I'm pretty sure. But he goes, oh, God. You know, um, that brings me to uh, the, our, our next episode, just so people are aware, is going to be on the new Speaker of the House. Um, the fact that we have a straight up Christian nationalist as the new speaker of the house of representatives, um, who none of us knew fucking shit about until the day he was elected to that position. None of us had fucking heard of him. Yeah. Even his constituents. I many of his of colleagues, I would say in the house. Yes. Um, and the fact that he is such an open Christian nationalist, Christian fascist, uh, I was just like, I, I, we have to do an episode on this guy. Okay. Uh, we have to do an episode. That's going to be the next Lunatic Fringe episode is we're going to talk about him uh, because there's a lot of reporting coming out on him and I want to sort of compile a lot of it for people. Um, and I've been doing my own looking into him and a lot of his old YouTube videos and things. So uh, th- there'll be some content. We'll, we'll be talking about the guy. But yeah, not psyched about the situation. No. <laughs> I am not exactly psyched. But he continues. Oh, yeah, he's just shitting on Rousseau here. He just brings up the fact that Rousseau had like five kids 
and had them all put in orphanages, which is shitty. It's shitty. It is, but also but, at the same time, Adam raised a murderer. So which is worse? <laughs> as far as we know, none of Rousseau's children did any murders. Wow, they were as, probably involved in the French Revolution. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. As far as we know, Rousseau's children might have done some murders. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, he gives a he gives just a straight-up lie for why Rousseau did it, right? He blames it on this Epicureanism and all this stuff. That again, he's never he, he hasn't given us any evidence that Rousseau gave a shit about Epicurus. He's just sort of drawn vague connections between the two. I can't find anyone who says that Epicurus is one of Rousseau's inspirations. I did a couple of Google searches looking. I might, you know, there might be some out there, but like, no, none of the big sources say that that was one of Rousseau's major influences. Uh, but that's what Josh says is the reason. But Rousseau did it because they were all with his mistress and uh, it really wasn't accepted at the time for those kids to be around. So it was like, well, they get to go off to orphanages. And apparently he wrote later in like a, per- a personal diary that he thought they would get good educations through the orphanages. Maybe he true. Really cared about education. None of it matters other than to point out that Josh just made some shit up because he doesn't like Rousseau. That's all I wanted to point out about that part. And that brings us to the final section of today's chapter, Benedict, From Self to Sacrifice, which begins, quote, The Bible takes a different view. Faced with evil and pains, the answer is not to set yourself free, but to give yourself up, sacrificially, to make yourself expendable. In theaters this Sunday with uh, Sylvester Stallone and... uh, (laughs) Notably not Steven Seagal, because everybody hates him. Did you see the dumb advertising campaign they did for that? Where the, the second E was a three. So it just like oh, like, yeah, like the Expendables three, ex, yeah, sure. Ex extreendables, but it didn't yeah. read right because the e it points the wrong way. It just didn't look right. It was fucked up. Didn't make okay. any sense. This seems didn't, like it's bothering you more than it should. It did bother me. It did bother me. But anyways, he continues. God made Adam a guardian and charged him to watch the perimeter. Blah blah blah. We've heard all this before. He was to devote his life to those he was responsible for, wife and family, blah, blah, blah. Where Epicurean liberalism urges self-creation as the path away from pain, the Bible urges different qualities of character, self-renunciation and sacrifice. The Bible says meaning is found and the soul is formed in confronting the darkness and setting oneself against it, standing between other people and evil. Does this explain why there is evil in the world to begin with? Of course not. No. Uh, do you want to try and explain that at all, Josh? You're going to try and give us any explanation for that? I don't think he is. Skipping down a little bit, and this, I have to bring it in for you. This is for you, Benedict. For this very reason, many societies press boys through rites of suffering as a gateway to full manhood. Which implies that Josh thinks that's a good thing. (laughs) Beat the children until they become men. Does seem to be what he's implying should happen there. Yep. So that the boy will learn that to become a man is to become self-sacrificial, to be willing to give one's life for others. This was true of the Romans for them. (laughs) A male was transformed into a man by the willful expenditure of energy. More specifically, by the willful voluntary expenditure of his life. To quote the Roman poet Virgil, uh, who did you did you know uh, that the the Romans had a word for virtue? Did you know that? I did, yeah. And okay. Machiavelli had it as virtu. Oh, did the Spanish have a word for it too? Also virtu. <laughs> it's actually vir- vir- virtut. It's got a D on the end. Uh, the Roman poet Virgil, a true a true man, 
scorns the light of life and holds that honor you are aiming at as cheaply bought if all its price is life. C- cool, man. I'm cool. not really sure what that means. Neither am I. I, read, I was hoping I read you that would. A couple of times. Well, okay. Virgil, famous propagandist. Yes. Um, literally rewrote the Trojan War story to make it a Roman founding myth. Exactly, yes, exactly. Um, for the fucking emperor. Yep. Um, all notably pre-Roman conversion to Christianity. Can like we also sig- say a better read than the Iliad or the Odyssey, though? Like a better uh, read, better more, to read. More skillfully written, yes, yes. definitely. Um, but that's because the... Uh, there were the, oral traditions. Yeah. Yes. You know. See, you're, <laughs> you're riling me for no reason. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, I, and I mean, you know, having read both in the original Latin version. <laughs> Can you say that with a smugger grin on your face, please? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I need a screen recording of the, the face you made when you grin said that. I have. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, that that is meaningless. Um to me like scorns the light of life and holds that honor you are aiming at as cheaply bought if all its price is life and i should be curious to know where that comes from he says it comes from the aeneid yeah he says it comes where? from the aeneid 9.205-06 i don't uh, i wonder who's I don't talking know. can you vamp while i look up who, i can vamp yeah i yeah. can definitely vamp <laughs> because this this you know we're at the we're at the very last pages of the chapter like literally the next thing I'm going to read is that part where I read the final paragraph or two of the chapter, um and and we get to this point and I'm like what has Josh said, what was the point of this chapter, and I think it really was just it could have been a single paragraph, it all could have been a single fucking paragraph, none of it required the story about his friend, which is just gross. It's inclusion by the time we get to the end here is is especially gross because he doesn't even try to bring it back to his friend he doesn't even try to bring it back in any way because all the things he has said up to this point about men and what they're supposed to do would lead you to believe that his friend had failed as benedict said earlier that is the logical if you were to bring it all together his friend failed against this inherent darkness and evil in the world which is a horrible fucking thing to say about a friend. So he doesn't say it, but it's left there implicit and it's really fucking gross. Have you found it yet? Yeah, it's just some dude, it's some dude giving a speech about, you know, it's not even Virgil saying it. It's, it's It's a character in the Aeneid giving a speech about how there's, there's virtue in death. But like, I, you know, there is uh, a speech in Henry V that's very famous of like the virtue of dying for your country and things like that. It's just right, but, I, but it's, the a, English it's a didn't weird have a, one to pick because but, it's but not. But the English didn't have a word for virtue, Benedict. That's true. No, you're right. That's a good point. <laughs> no, it's just a weird one to pick because um, Virgil was not Christian at all. Right, like, but he's Roman. Yeah, but and that's... Benedict, these people obsess over Rome. We know, I know this. I understand that, but find a Christian Roman or find a Christian king who said the same thing. It's very <laughs> weird. Yeah, but people care less about what those ones had to say. They weren't real Romans. What you if know it's what I mean? Shakespeare, though? Uh, you mean Shakespeare? Shakespeare. Shakespeare. I had I had an English teacher in high school who refused to pronounce his name the way everyone says it and would always say, well, you know, back then his name would have been pronounced Shakespeare. And I'm like, okay, cool. just say it how we all say it. I don't even even know if that English professor was correct. 
I honestly, it could have been completely made up and they just heard some bullshit, but she always refused to say it any other way. And it annoyed the ever living fuck out of me. I never got over that. Yep. Supremely annoying. Anyways, Benedict, that brings us us to where I do as I do. And I read the final two paragraphs of the chapter, which are as follows. Quote, uh, and he, so he's, he's had a little story here before the point I'm about to read about his, his grandpa and, and tying his boots and how soldiers wear boots. And uh, you need to wear those boots and you need to learn how to put them on because you might be a soldier one day if your country calls, which Josh never was. Fun. So it goes, he had something specific in mind. One of his sons, my uncle Gene, had been drafted for service in the U.S. military at the height of the Vietnam War. It was a point of pride in my family that despite potential grounds for deferment, he had served in the 101st Airborne. Thereby putting his colleagues potentially at risk because he couldn't... <laughs> yeah. Also, I just no Republican should ever be able to bring up uh, uh, honorably serving in Vietnam. Uh, period. End of story. No. Uh, ever again, because of the guy that they nominated who got a deferment for bullshit reasons. Mm-hmm. Really shouldn't. Uh, when I was young, my mother showed me the newspaper clippings my grandmother had carefully preserved from the county paper with pictures of Gene leaving for Vietnam. Later clippings showed pictures of his return. I knew what my grandfather was referring to that day when he said, you'll go. That was expected. That's part of what it's meant to be a man, to go stand on the line, to go and defend, to confront evil and do something about it. Said about Vietnam. Vietnam, a pointless war we lost and killed millions. I actually don't know the total death toll. I don't know if it's over in in multiple millions of people. Including all the subsequent Agent Orange problems. Probably, probably in millions total. Yes. For no fucking reason for a subsequently discredited theory about dominoes and how if one country fell to communism, they all would. That's that's what he had to go do. It's uh, that's standing the line and defending and confronting evil, a country whose leader had tried to reach out to the United States previously, but we didn't answer. So they were had to go over to communist China and Soviet Russia for assistance because we refused to help them in their struggle for freedom from their fucking French oppressor oppressors. It all comes, it all comes back to the French as always. You're just glad it's the French this time and yep. not the British. <laughs> Often the British. We'll talk. We'll talk about Malaysia someday. I promise yeah, you. Promise. It's not just Malaysia. <laughs> it's the closest country in the region. Uh, but he continues the end of the chapter in Genesis. The charge to guard Eden is certainly a duty. <laughs> duty. But it is also an invitation to forge the kind of character that can be a solution to evil. We will have better families, better churches, and places of work, a better nation, when we have men with character like that. That's the kind of character that can unlock the promise of the world. End of chapter three. All right, was I right that that was a much more, I don't want to say more cohesive. It made more sense as you went through the chapter. And it had more of a narrative structure to it, yes. Yes, it had less bullshit filler. I feel like I understand the way we structured our episode based on it, which is definitely an improvement over that second chapter we did. Yep. Uh, But uh, so, yeah, you know, men are supposed to guard. What have we gotten so far, right? For chapter one was an overview of the entire book. Chapter two, build temples. Chapter three. Guard the temples. Guard the temples. (laughs) 
I'm going to have to keep a running list of what we get yep. from this because that's that's uh, all. It could all be summed up in a paragraph at the end, really. Yep. There's not much of substance to it. Oh, but good. Thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC for just $1 an episode for patron only episode. Shout outs on the show. Uh, why do I forget the third one that I always tell? And more. Early releases of our episodes and more. As always, we have to give a shout out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Sam Walsh, Right Wing Cruelty Isn't a Bug, It's a Feature, Dan L., Jamie Fritz, Teach Peace, Dr. Milminian Letalim Swin Womley, I think I got it right that time, The Ghost of Larry Nichols, Jacob Johnson, Dan Irizarry, Pause for the Eh? 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 <laughs> New Buildings Are a Globalist Conspiracy, Dapper Dinosaur, Kerry Conrison, Bobo D. Bear, Chili, Madeline and Zachary Wilson-Vetro, Stephen DeBoe, Tori and DeGallant, Shadow Princess vs. the Raptor Wolves, Runak Seti, A.B. Kaiser, Sean Sullivan, Lauren S. I'm going to make my name as long as possible. Sorry, not sorry, Kevin. Little Flick. Oh, Benedict, where art thou, bright spot? This episode's over. Flack Weasel. Sadie Sister Wednesday. Kieran Dactler. Join us next week, and our guest will be Benjamin Netanyahu. Oh, no. No, it will not be. It will absolutely not be. Henry Lewis King Jr., Sarah Wolf, Aaron Burke, Megan A. Dooley, Gloria Scott, Isaac Horvat, Clifton Stuckey, Pause, A Restless Native, A Baby, Wah, Veronica Forker, Polly Hopman, Melissa C., J.D., George Saulnier, Janet Yutter, Stefan, Beware of Kissy Time with the Shadow Wolves, Utah Outcast, Brent Lee, David Garrido, Dave Barwick, Charles Trulier, Chris Palmer, Bad Bible Stitches, Ellie Bartlett, Mockingbird Nation, Tarn Somerville, Did I Do the Thing Again? No, I didn't! Oh, why is this list so goddamn long? Mockingbird Nation. Bacra! Tarn Somerville Fletcher. Benjamin Carlisle. Dexter. Allison. C. David. Megan Ruth. Hot Waxabi. I'm here for the knowledge fight. Glowrung the Deceiver. Danielle. Big Z Blast Me. Ian Guistino. Jay Reynolds. Postmodern Polymath. I did do the thing. I didn't filter properly. Damn it. That's fine. I didn't filter properly. (laughs) You gotta finish it now. Oh, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, Taro to Cannon, uh, Balls Waterson. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, guard those temples, baby. Goodbye. Goodbye. podcast is a production of kevin and benedict productions copyright 2020 all rights reserved music for this podcast is by silverman sound studios find out more at silvermansound.com